1 through 8. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam, and I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Uli Canal. Then I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a ram, which had two horns, was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power, but he did as he pleased and magnified himself. While I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had the two horns which I had been standing in front, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rested him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram, and he was enraged at him, and he struck the ram and shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Alright, and that's not the whole vision. That's scene one of this vision in the third year of Belshazzar's reign. Seven one, the vision of chapter seven was in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. Both of them visions that Daniel receives. And here's what this vision had. It starts in this scene with two animals. What's the first animal? A ram. What's unusual about this ram? One horn longer than the other. One horn longer than the other. Which horn was the longer one? One that came out last. Yeah, the one that had come up last. And what else do you know about this ram? He was powerful. He was powerful. He was doing what? Taking over the world. Budding east, north and south. Budding in three directions. West, north, and south. And nobody seemed to be able to stop him. This was a powerful ram that did what he wanted to and exalted himself. But then what does he see? A second animal. A flying goat. A male goat that comes from the west over the whole earth without even touching the surface of the ground. You know what I think of? Beep, beep. (laughs) Roadrunner. Yeah. Hopefully this is a goat. Goat runner. I don't know. And uh, and what's uh, notable about this goat besides his speed? He's got this big horn between his eyes. And what does the goat do? Attacks the ram and destroys the ram, shatters the horns, throws him to the ground, tramples on him. And the goat just becomes the mighty one. But then, as soon as the goat becomes really strong, what happens? The horn breaks off, of all things, and what what comes up? 
four four horns in place of the big horn. Alright, now, the first thing I think I'd like to do is to correlate these two animals with the animals in chapter 7. I think we can match them up. Now there's some conditions. One of the conditions is the animals have to be successive. Because the goat destroyed the ram. So we've got to have a pair. So the rams, either the ram's got to be the, the, the first animal of chapter 7 and the goat the second one, or the ram's got to be the second animal and the goat the third one, or the ram's got to be the third one and the goat the fourth one. I think that's the only way it'll work since we know the goat destroyed the ram. Where does it match up best? Ram and the bear. The ram and the bear, and then the goat and the leopard. How are the ram and the bear alike? They're cockeyed. The bear's raised up on one side, the ram's got one horn longer than the other, taller than the other. And maybe the three ribs and the three directions that the ram butts. And then how are the goat and the leopard correlated? They're fast as lightning and they fly and four heads, four horns. So I think this is a fair identification. Now, this is very helpful also because we know who these two, ram and goat, are. Isn't that cool? Look at verse 20 of chapter 8. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. So, the text tells us who the ram and the goat are. That means we know who the bear and the leopard are. That means we know who kingdoms two and three are. The first king was Babylon. The second kingdom was Medo-Persia. Makes sense. Medo-Persia conquered Babylon. Third kingdom was Greece. Makes sense. Greece conquered Medo-Persia. Now, that leads me to go back, going back and thinking about these two. Why do we have this deal with one side raised up on Medo-Persia, one horn taller than the other? two-part kingdom. It's a two-part kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. And what does this tell you? One part was stronger. The one part was stronger. Which part was stronger? Persia? The Persians. And what do you know about them? They came up last. The Medes were the older kingdom, but the Persians became more powerful and dominant in the alliance. Now, why does the, the Pers why do the Persians butt west, north, and south, but not east? They didn't go that way. They were at the easternmost part of their empire. They didn't go east. They went west, north, and south. Now, think about the goat, the leopard. You know, why this deal about the speed of the Grecian Empire? Gary, real quick. Um, yes. So, Babylon was kind of centered between like the Tigris and Euphrates and that yes. area. So where did Persia come from? They were farther to the east of Babylon. Okay. About what we call Iran, Afghanistan, is that? Yeah. 
Alright, so why the speed of the uh, leopard, the goat? Maybe because Greece, it must have been because Greece conquered so fast. They did. Who was the Greek king that conquered so fast? Alexander. Alexander the Great came to power in Macedonia at age 18. By the age of 32, had conquered the world, and they say he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. <laughs> Don't know about all that. Then he died. <laughs> then on his way back home, he died. Didn't have a son to take over the kingdom at that point, so his kingdom split apart into four parts divided among four of his generals. Thus, the four heads, the four horns. Some of this we're going to get later on in chapter 8 also, some more specifics about that. In fact, let me see here. What can I show you already that you might want to know? Uh, Like, look at verse 21 and 22 again. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in his place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. The four generals just split up the Grecian kingdom, and each one of them was less powerful than Alexander the Great had been. Alright, that was quite a bit. What comments and questions would you like to offer at this point? So the horn was like Alexander the Great. It was. And then it destroys, and then it falls off. Yes, Alexander died at 32. Or so. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's a cool book. Oh, it gets cooler. This is just the beginning. Wait till we get to chapter 11. You thought it was cool now. Yeah. The thing Daniel does is something that we don't get a lot of other places in the Bible. Daniel gives us a very detailed, very specific accounting of some of the things that were going to happen after him. He does that, I think, for a couple reasons. First of all, he's showing that everything is leading to the fulfillment of God's purpose. As these kingdoms rise and fall, all of this is in God's plan, and God's still got the plan to send the Messiah and set up his kingdom, establish his kingdom. But also, what's going to be happening for about 400 years shortly after Daniel? Nothing. Years of silence. So what's going to happen to God's people when they go through all these twists and turns and some very disastrous periods as we will see a little later in chapter 8 and also in chapter 11 and 12? Well, they don't have a prophet there saying, oh, everything's okay, everything's, this is this, and this is that, and God's taking care of things. What they did have was Daniel, already written, that they could refer back to, that tells them how God is going to bring his purpose to pass in spite of the traumas through which the people were passing. So that is the power of the book of Daniel. And so in that sense, Daniel becomes extremely detailed. Chapter 8 is nothing compared to chapter 11. Chapter 11 is one of the, probably is the most detailed, explicit, specific prophecy in all the Bible by far. Amazing. And of course the question comes, how did Daniel know? Well, the liberal critics say, he couldn't have. This has to have been a book written after all these events. Because it's so clear. There are some real problems for the liberal critics on that, because that means it has to have been written after about 165. 
and that's really hard to do since the Old Testament was translated into Greek about 100 years before that and different things like that. Now, there are a lot of problems with that historically for them. Uh, but they have to say that because otherwise how did he know? Nobody can predict the future. They don't believe in God. So you have to post-date it. And especially when we come to chapter 11 where the prophecies are extremely detailed and explicit. And he just goes through a king-by-king analysis of what happens all through about 150 years of their history. It's amazing. Yeah, it's exciting. But this is given this panoramic view. Really, chapter 8 is getting to another point, a detail that occurs during the time of the four divisions of the Grecian Empire. That's what chapter 8 is really headed toward. We're just putting it in context so far. Cass? So how far apart were these two divisions? Two years, first year and third year of Belshazzar, as far as when he received the visions. I mean, a seven and eight? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Alright, other questions and comments? So why would the language switch between 7 and 8? It seems like they would go together. They don't. Chapter 8 is really zeroing in on what he's going to say about what happens in one of the divisions of the Grecian Empire and the impact that has on the Jews. So it's the same story to two different people with more detail to one group? Yes. The culmination of the story in chapter 7 is when God gives the victory to his saints over the monster beast. This is talking about Antioch's Epiphanes and final analysis and what happened in about 165 BC to the Jews. That's where really chapter 8 is going, which I haven't gotten there yet. So take notes, Tasha. Explain this. We haven't gotten there yet. But the rest of chapter 8 is going to focus on Antiochus Epiphanes. But we won't get there tonight. And chapter 11, 21 to the end of the book also focuses on Antiochus Epiphanes in my understanding. So was Aramaic commonly understood across the world? It was, and it was fairly closely related to Hebrew. They were kin, like there were Semitic languages. But yes, it would have been more the universal language, the Babylonian spoken. But how much further did, how, how much farther down the line was it until Greek really took over? Well, Greek really took over after Alexander conquered uh, the world, and that was about 330-ish. So but about the Jews 200 Jesus years later. Time were still speaking. The Jews still spoke Aramaic and Greek. Aramaic took over for Hebrew for them. Mm-hmm. When they came back from captivity, they came back speaking Aramaic and not going back to the Hebrew. So would chapters 8 through the end in any way have been obscured in, in its understanding from non-Jewish people because of it well, being in Aramaic? Well, certainly not more than it would have been when it was in Hebrew. Oh, you're saying because it's in Hebrew? Yes. Well, I mean, the whole Old Testament's in Hebrew, virtually. Mm-hmm. So, maybe, but that's not the point. God didn't write it in Hebrew to obscure it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? 
All right, well, we probably should stop here because this gets uh, more complicated, but great stuff. Thanks for uh, sharing that, and uh, stay tuned next week, and we'll uh, 